Welcome back to Bible Love. We are in the midst of Holy Week. We're recording this on Monday of Holy Week. You are listening to this on Monday, Thursday. So I guess our prayer is that it's been a fruitful week for you and that the Triduum starting today will be a blessing for you. So we've been playing, praying the colics of uh, Lent uh, these past several weeks. And so today is the colic for Monday, Thursday. Let us pray. Almighty Father, whose dear Son, on the night before he suffered, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, mercifully grant that we may receive it, thankfully, in remembrance of Jesus Christ our Lord, who in these holy mysteries gave us a pledge of eternal life, and who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, I've been teasing Alan that this spring has been all about bringing in my buddies from um, my home diocese, the Diocese of Alabama, and nothing, um, you are going to get another treat, nothing short of another treat this time. This, the Reverend Josiah Ringers, who is the rector of St. Thomas in Birmingham, is joining us. Josiah was just telling us, he has been at St. Thomas for eight years, which kind of blows my mind a little bit. Um, Josiah is a gift and funny and just a great dude. And I'm so glad you're joining us today. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Mary Balfour is, and Alan, is wonderful to see you. And it's about time. You know, yeah. I think Jesus kind of lived his entire ministry and died in the in. In a faster time sequence than uh, me getting invited onto this podcast. It's so very I know. I'm glad to be here. And finally. Yeah, we had to get your wife on first because she's more important. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's a good decision. Yeah. So, Josiah, thank you for being here. And so we asked you what psalm you wanted to talk about today. And you chose Psalm 22. And the first thing you said was it is appropriate for Holy Week. So tell us why Psalm 22 is appropriate for Holy Week. Absolutely. And I'll just begin by saying, you know, Psalm 22 is probably the psalm I know the best and probably one that I can recite the most of. It, maybe that's just because I'm not great at memorizing most of the psalms. Well, who uh, is? But I love it. I love Psalm 22. It's one of my favorite uh, Psalms, because I think it tells this huge story in a short period of time. It tells this story and this huge movement of kind of the descent and the brokenness and the suffering, um, of life. And then it kind of ends on this really, uh, you know, hopeful note of celebrating God and praising God and giving thanks to God. Uh, it's also very liturgically appropriate this week, which is like what we're all concerned about being liturgically appropriate. Yes. But it makes sense because we re read it on Palm Sunday, or we read actually a portion of it uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, if you're reading that Gospel, uh, where Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, one of the last things he says is, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is the beginning of Psalm 22. And that's kind of an allusion to Psalm 22. And then we read it traditionally on Good Friday. We read uh, the Psalm as well, or sometimes churches will chant it, which is really, really quite nice and beautiful. 
And Psalm 22, uh, in a way, tells the story of the suffering of Jesus. In a, there are a lot of direct correlations. You know, I'm always weary to try to put the New Testament into the Old Testament. I'm always a kind of weary of people trying to force New Testament things into Old Testament stories. Except for Psalm 22, where it talks about um, there's just so many little things that parallel Jesus' suffering on the cross. Whether that's, you know, being beaten but not having his bones any bones broken or uh, being mocked and ridiculed or being, um, you know, tortured and certainly being uh, surrounded by people mocking him. And yet, like I said, it ends on this hopeful note of praising God and giving glory to God. And this idea that maybe Jesus is saying all these things and conveying this huge message, kind of the enormity of Psalm 22 in that short, simple word of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he can convey so much even glorifying God yeah. at that moment on the cross as he's dying. So therefore I like it. Yeah. I like it too. And I, I agree with you. Like I, I get nervous about trying to like be in the lectionary and try to make it all happen, you know, but I, it's, it's impossible to ignore my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when those are the exact words that come out of Jesus's mouth. Um, but it also has some like really interesting stuff about like worms and um, other kind of things that like, you know, that are interesting in here um, and bones and my heart is like wax and my mouth is dried up like a pot shirt. I mean, so it's, it's, it's all this, I don't know, kind of weird stuff. What do you think about those things? I mean, it parallels the suffering of Christ, like pretty directly. And he says, like, for instance, um, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and feet. Um, all my bones are in display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Which is like exactly what the gospel writers say that happens as Jesus is dying. They're casting lots for his garments. Um, which is incredible, which is like, you know, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. They say, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. And then literally, that's what the gospel writers use, you know, as people are surrounding Jesus and mocking him. They're saying, he trusted in God. Let God deliver him. So the gospel writers are definitely tuned into Psalm 22 as, as well. But, um, yeah, it just conveys so much. Yeah, for sure. So let's kind of talk through it. So the first one we talked about, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but find no rest. So I also feel like Psalm 22 is for those of us that maybe need to like, I don't know, show some emotion to God with, with, not only in the comparison with Jesus and dying, but like how we might be feeling, right? Like, where are you, God? I would you love know? to hear um, Alan's interpretation of this, but I feel like in this portion of Psalm 22, it kind of starts the night before, mm-hmm. you know, as Jesus is praying by himself and says he's praying so intensely that he's literally like, you know, bleeding, you know, out of his eyeballs. He's literally like praying to the point of, um, with such intensity of emotion that he's literally bleeding and he's praying like, if, if you can take this cup of suffering away from me, Lord, take it. But if not, I will accept this burden. I will accept the suffering. And 
you know, just that beginning of, of such an anguish and the enormity of the burden that's on Jesus' heart, you know. So I say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're so far from my cries. I cry out by day, but you do not, but I find no rest. I kind of feel like that starts the night before and is like building to the arrest and then to the, to the suffering of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the night before, right. Jesus has this dinner with his friends and then they go out and like, then people start abandoning him. You know, Judas literally does and and goes and, and starts the whole operation and process. But then, you know, he tries to get his friends to stay awake with him and they don't. And then he's taken away and he's, I can imagine he's feeling alone. And then the next day, even his father, right? God abandons him. You know, there's that idea that that's the moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So like, how does the Godhead stay intact in this moment? Right. You know, that's a theological question, but Jesus is also fully human. And so he's feeling completely abandoned and rejected by friends, by everybody um, to the point where like his vessels are bursting because he's so stressed and all of that. And, it's just amazing that that he gets to that point. And it's, you know, when folks are wrestling with things and how can I believe in God when crap happens, stuff like, I'm like, you're in good company because Jesus asked those same questions. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we think Jesus just happy-go-lucky along for the ride with this whole thing. But like Jesus is trying to figure out a way around what needs to happen. Jesus is questioning whether God's plan is actually the best plan. And that's evident here when he questions. I think it's especially evident, you know, your word in this line in verse six, I'm a worm and not a man scorned by everyone, despised by the people, you know, feeling just so utterly alone. And uh, yeah, that's, you know, I think that, I think that people can connect to that feeling. You know, I think you get a diagnosis, a cancer diagnosis, you know, you get a phone call from the doctor saying, you know, somebody you love is, has gotten a bad diagnosis. You um, get into a car accident or someone you, you love is in a, a terrible accident. There are these moments in life that are so pivotal and so life shaking, so earth shaking that you feel just this, you know, this crushing uh, overwhelmingness of life. And you feel this, like I'm a worm and not a man, you know, despised by the people like, it's like the earth is opened up and you feel like you're falling into that bottomless pit. Right. And I think people go through this, people go through this in life, maybe not just related to health or accidents, but you know, you lose a job or um, you don't get a job that you're hoping for, or you, you're going through a divorce. These pivotal moments that are so um, destabilizing and you feel like you're, you know, you feel like you're drowning just by life itself. And man, it's those moments that where you can really feel embodied Psalm 22. Yeah. And I think that even goes further into the next verse. So verse three, yet you are holy enthroned on the praise of Israel, praises of Israel and you are ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them to you. They cried and were saved and you, they trusted and were not put to shame. So that like, again, sort of encompasses our relationship with God a lot, right? So we might be, we, we feel these things, we're upset, we're angry, but then like we know in our faith 
that we have God, you know, um, even though it doesn't feel that way sometimes. And again, that's how the Psalm goes back and forth, you know, even after, after the worm, the worm, um, incident, um, commit your calls to the Lord, let him deliver you, let him rescue the one in whom he delights. You know, it's again, we talked about, I feel like we've talked about this ad nauseum, but like this ups and downs of life and how the Psalm goes, goes over and over here. Um, okay. We talked about the worms, but we also have bulls. We have bones. We have dogs. I'm just thinking about all the animals and weird things that are in here. Horns of the wild oxen. Um, I think that's all of them. Let me say something about the bulls of Bashan. You know, it's interesting to me because Bashan isn't mentioned very often in Scripture. It's mentioned once in Psalm 22, and it's mentioned um, in the Old Testament with King Og. And anything around King Og, is like, I just love it. I love King Og. Do y'all remember King Og in the Old Testament? No, but why do you love King Og? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So King Og was the king of the Rephaim. The Rephaim are mentioned in the Old Testament several times. But it's often – like Bashan's a real place. It's like a region in Israel. And the Rephaim, I think, were real people. But it's mentioned in the long lists of the Old Testament of the people who are, like, inhabiting the land, who are kind of at war and at odds with the Israelites, like the Hittites and Hivites and Amorites and Edomites, and it says the Rephaim. The Rephaim, though, are mentioned in different cultures of the Near East. And the Rephaim, uh, it's not exactly a Hebrew word. I think it's a New Gritic word, but it literally means something like the shadows of the dead or like dead people, or um, there's this idea. Okay, do you remember in uh, Lord of the Rings, in the third movie, you know, Eric, the king goes off and he finds and recruits this army of like dead shadow kings, and they come and help fight? That's like what the idea of the Rephaim were. They were like kind of this mythical people who were like, I don't know, the shadowy dead people. They're also referred to as the giants. And so... um King Og is the king of the Rephaim, and it says very specifically that he himself was a giant, and it mentions the size of his bed. His bed was like, you know, he would have been, you know, over 10 feet tall, and and it mentions in the Old Testament how big his bed is, and it says, and you can still go see it. It's like on this museum, and so I love that in the Old Testament, it's referring to a place that, and encouraging people to go visit King Og. The idea was that they were the giants or the people of, of legendary, you know, almost otherworldly, and the idea was that Goliath was the last of the Rephaim. So Goliath who fights David is the last of the Rephaim. And just a little connection to that is David goes out and fights Goliath. And in Psalm, and he fights him in the valley of Elam, which is in the larger valley of the Rephaim. So he's fighting Goliath, who is maybe perhaps the last descendant of the Rephaim in the valley of the Rephaim, which is loosely translated as like the shadowy dead people or the shadowy dead kings. And so in the very next Psalm, Psalm 23, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. And I don't think of him, David, being so poetic as being actively thinking of that very specific place facing Goliath. So what if you translated Psalm 23 as, Yea, though I walk through the valley where I faced off with Goliath and faced my own mortality, right? And so in Psalm 22 and Psalm 23, 
23, you kind of have this connection to the, to the giants, to the Philistines, to, um, so the bulls of Bashan, you know, to me, it's almost this, almost this huge, epic, scary, you know, the big, strong men, the towering figures of Bashan, you know, King Og and his murderous army, even though, even though I'm surrounded by these giants of mythology, you know, these giants of, of lure, you know, I shall fear no evil for God is with me. So the bulls of Bashan, I, I think it's kind of interesting. That is so cool. I have, I've never, you know, you just say these things when you are, or, or, or chant these things and, you know, you don't like, I mean, you find yourself in it kind of, but you don't ever, I don't go back and like, look at the history and what is that, you know, so that was awesome. Okay. So do you also know what a pot shirt is? I do. Do you know? Does Alan know? I don't know. Tell us. So my mouth is dried up like a pot sheared and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. This is line 15. In life. What I've always interpreted a pot, like a shard, like a broken piece of a pot, like a, the pot has been broken. You know, the, the thing that stands out in my mind about a pot shard is from the book of Job where he's covered in boils and he sits down in ashes and covers himself in ash. And he says he takes a pot shards and scrapes his body with him. But it's kind of a posture of humility, of brokenness, of desperation. You know, when, when Job does that, it's in a way to show kind of his, how contrite he is, how sad he is, how his life is like dust and ash and everything that he loves is, is gone, is devoid of life. But also, his body's physically suffering and he's scraping it, you know, with this pot shard. Okay. Interesting. So you're teaching. But also, but also, you know, it's an allusion to the, this idea where someone comes, at least in the gospel of Matthew and offers him sour wine on the mm-hmm. end of a sponge on a stick. It says, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And someone comes because Jesus' mouth is obviously dried out, you know, part of dying on the cross, part of the suffocation process, right? is part of crucifixion is that you're suffocating slowly and you're getting less and less oxygen. So, you know, I imagine his mouth is like desperately trying to suck in air and your mouth is open and dry. And, you know, that's just part of the suffering. Yeah. Josiah, do you have a favorite part of this Psalm? that really sticks well, out Then there's like this pivotal moment, you know, rescue me from the mouth of lions. Mm-hmm. You know, just like just like you did Daniel in the lion's den. But then verse 22. And yet I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. You know, in the assembly, this Hebrew word that can mean like congregation or it can mean um, like that might be the word you'd use for everyone in the synagogue. You know, in, I'll stand up in the synagogue and praise your name. And the idea of maybe at the crucifixion as Jesus is dying those who are assembled around him, it's become like this new synagogue, right? What happens as soon as he dies, the person below him, the person who just crucified him, the soldier says, surely this man was God, right? That all of a sudden people are praising God and realizing that they were in the presence of God. And maybe like that moment on that, on Golgotha, it becomes the assembly, it becomes the congregation, 
the first congregation of uh, of the death and process to resurrection. And I yet love, I will declare your name. I love all the comparisons. Like, I feel like this is such a gift for Holy Week to think about all that. I mean, we just don't do, or I don't. I mean, clearly you do. Uh, but, you right. know, think about this in, in that way. Um, I was thinking about what my part, favorite part might be. And I, I think it's verse 29. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust and I shall live for him. So almost like connecting us back to Ash Wednesday, those 40 days where we remember that we are dust and to dust we shall return. But also like, I shall bow down to him. I shall live for him. Um, even in the midst of Jesus's suffering, like he's, he does this for us and for God and that, that living and that bowing. And I don't know, that just really stood out. Yeah. I mean, and again, like, uh, in verse 25, just a little bit before that, you know, how does Jesus begin his ministry? He stands up and declares and reads from the, from Isaiah Alan, do you know what he says when he on that day when he's like declaring his ministry is about to get kick started? He reads from the, the scroll of Isaiah. Today the scripture's been fulfilled. He says it's been fulfilled. He said, Look, you will see that the, the poor are fed and the you know the hunger is satisfied, and I declare release for the prisoners and the oppressed. And then in verse twenty five to twenty six, he says, Look, before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. And those who seek the Lord will praise him. Um, so, you know, at that moment of crucifixion as well, like Jesus is, is completing these vows. He's saying, I am going to do the thing that I've always set out to do that. I will, I will return people to a relationship with God. I will restore the people. I will proclaim freedom and release from those who are captive and prisoners. Uh, even if that captivity and that imprisonment is, you know, to our own sin, that Jesus at the cross is is now liberating us from sin, from, you know, our own prison. Our own prison. All right. You heard Josiah's favorite part of Psalm 22. You heard mine. Alan, what do you think yours is? Yeah, I don't know um, that there's a specific one. I like, I mean, it goes back and forth, right? It's my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. And, but I'm a worm and not a man, yet you brought me out of the womb. Many bulls surround me, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. It's this, for me, it's, we've talked about it with all the Psalms, the juxtaposition of the highs and the lows of life, right? Um, David's own life, you know, he's writing from experience. He's accomplished a lot and he screwed up a lot. But here, you know, and projecting it onto Jesus, right? Like Jesus at his lowest of lows when he's at the point of death. He still sees in that the the goodness of it uh, in that. Right. Like, yeah, you know, I was teaching um, youth confirmation last night, talking about Holy Week and, and all of this. And we're talking about the days and like everyone, does, not just youth, everyone. Why is Good Friday called good? It's because of Psalm 22. Right. Even at the point of death, God is not far from from Jesus, even at the point of death. We can still, you know, praise God. I mean, that's why we're able to to make it through this week and get to Sunday is because 
the back and forth, the highs and the lows, all of it that's found here in this psalm. Mm -hmm. Josiah, is there any other part of Psalm 22 that we just cannot forget to talk about? Um, Or did we cover it all? I I love it. You know, I love it. What is the, what is y'all know the Shema, you know, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And then the very next thing it says is, and teach this to your children and all future generations. You know, the blessing of God is is inherently tied to all future generations, right? It's supposed to be passed down. And so I just love it. You know, in verse 30, it says, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. Kind of this promise of um, that God is coming for all people, for all future generations. It's tied into... Uh, in connection to all of us, not just for me, but for all people that will come so far after me that I'll never know, you know, the grace of God is coming. Josiah, this was such a treat with Holy Week in particular. I mean, you know, I love you, but I love the way that you um, really took this Psalm and opened it up for us scripturally. And as we walk into this Good Friday, which is really hard. Um, it's hard for people to experience for whatever reason that may be that they are so in love with Jesus or that they're having something going on in their life and they can feel that. So I just appreciate you, um, opening it up for us because I think we need that. We need to feel, um, we need to understand, um, we need to cry. We need to have the emotion. Um, because all of that is so important before we actually get to the resurrection. And the easy thing to do is to skip that, right? And I don't want to do that. So I appreciate you giving this to us today. Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's good, you know, like you say, for us to ex- experience the suffering with Jesus. But also, you know, as we said at the beginning of this conversation, that there are those moments of, of great trial and tragedy in people's lives. And it's okay to not skip that suffering either. It's okay to sit down and say, like, this is really hard and this is a really, really awful time. And um and there may be resurrection and there may be or new life in the future, but we're not at that place now. We're at the place of suffering. And Jesus meets us there, and Jesus doesn't rush us. They say, We might just have to sit down in the ashes and weep. And um and maybe we have to suffer together. You know, it, we're not always being pulled out of the hole, but sometimes Christ comes down into the hole with us. Yeah. And Psalm 22 lets us have that space to say, even in my suffering, I can acknowledge there is a God and he's there somewhere. But for right now, I'm surrounded by the bulls of Bashan. I'm surrounded, you know, right now I'm a worm and no man. And um, and that's, that's part of okay. life. And that's okay. And that's part of life. Well, thank you. And listeners, remember, as always, we love you. But most importantly, God does.